Welcome to Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Wes Goldberg, host of Locked On Warriors, here with Dave Vermil, the host of Locked On Heat, and Ben Gulliver from the Washington Post. Monday night's games were a showcase for the league's young talents. Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray battled in the first game of the playoffs in the bubble. Jason Tatum scored 32 points for the Celtics, and Luka Doncic was confident in his first ever playoff game. But let's start with the Nuggets win over the Jazz to start the, bl- the bubble playoffs. Donovan Mitchell went for 57 points, but the Nuggets, led by 36 points from Jamal Murray, managed to get the win in overtime. Mitchell had an historic night, but did commit a late eight-second violation that allowed the Nuggets to tie the game with less than two minutes to go. And David, I know they lost, but I like Utah's chances in the series. The Nuggets didn't have an answer for the Mitchell-Gobert pick-and-roll, and they needed to make more than 50% of their threes to get the win, and the Jazz probably still could have won. What do you think about all this? Yes, there was a chance that Utah could have pulled off the upset in game one. I mean, they're missing significant parts of their starting lineup there with Boganovich and Conley. But the fact that they also needed 57 points from Mitchell, something that he's not likely to replicate just to get within a few points of Denver. I I mean, I know obviously Denver was able to make a late game comeback and and tie the game and go over into overtime. But at the same time, I just... I wasn't impressed with either team particularly, but I wouldn't say that Utah has much of a chance moving forward. I, I, that incredible performance by Mitchell notwithstanding, uh, I don't know that they're going to get that kind of production from him or anybody else on a consistent level. And without those two key players, I know Conley is scheduled to come back at some point if Utah is still in the playoffs, but he'll have to go through quarantine and everything else. But at the same time, I just I know that Denver needed some pretty good shooting on their own in order to overcome that incredible scoring from from Mitchell, but I just I don't like their chances. I just I don't see anything from them that's been particularly impressive. In fact, I, I would have I have a, a couple nits to pick regarding Mitchell's scoring and the fact that he was a little too aggressive. Uh, as good as he was, I just I think he he could have done more to get everybody else involved, and maybe they would have had a better chance of actually pulling off the victory in regular mm-hmm. uh, rather than in regulation rather than in overtime. Ben, did you see this as maybe the the Nuggets' best chance to get a game up on on or Utah's best chance to get a game up on Denver here? Yeah, you know, uh, as David was mentioning, you know, he's not impressed with either team. I have a phrase called the fraud off, where two teams, you know, play each other's in the playoffs, and you're just you kind of come away thinking like neither one of these teams is that serious. I kind of felt like this might have been a fraud off between uh, between Denver and Utah. Look, Utah has to win that game if he's scoring 57 points. There's no way around it. I do think it's worth pointing out he had the third most points ever in an NBA playoff game in the history of the sport. And then we saw Luka Doncic have the most points ever um, for a, a debut in NBA playoffs history. So I think that tells you something about the bubble itself in terms of, uh, you know, do we need to be adjusting for some great inflation here in terms of the scoring and, and how teams maybe are playing defense or or how much success offenses are having. Um, to me, I think that the the biggest takeaway from this game was the late game execution by Denver, specifically Jamal Murray and mm-hmm. Jokic. Really nice two game, uh, two man game in overtime, and then Murray stepping up and hit big shots. I mean, we know the story with him. He runs hot. He runs cold. Some nights you can trust him. Some nights you can't. He's been dealing with injury issues coming into this game. The fact that he delivered as he did, um, and and he was uh, you know composed enough also to find Jokic on a key play and let Jokic hit that three-pointer, I thought it was, you know, a, a really excellent closing effort from them in overtime. And it's definitely one that got away for, from Utah. I wonder if it's a backbreaker. You know, we'll know a lot about their team, how they come out in game two. 
That's a good point. And look, there's a lot of weird stuff that happened in that game. I mean, you you mentioned the 57 points from Donovan Mitchell. I, Jamal Murray, we've seen this in the playoffs before, him completely take over a game late. And we've also seen him disappear in the very next game, you know, in a playoff series. Uh, I, you know, between all of that and, and, and Denver making more than 50% of their three-pointers, this is just weird. But the only thing that I thought is is definitely repeatable from a game-to-game basis was just how the Jazz were able to use that Donovan Mitchell, Rigo Bear pick and roll over and over and over again. And Denver just really never had an answer for it. And look, Mike Malone is a really good coach. Maybe he'll scheme up something from game one to game two. That'll be the big adjustment that they have to make, at least defensively. Um, but I really, I don't know if we can make a whole lot out of this first game. It was just a weird one. Um, but let's move on to the Celtics 109 to 101 win over the Sixers. Jason Tatum scored 32 points as the steady Celtics took game one. The Sixers are without Ben Simmons, and they leaned on Joel Embiid, especially in the post, but I don't think they'll have enough to beat Boston um, in this series. And this could be a series, Ben, that ends maybe sooner than we would have thought initially, um, at least going into the season. What do you think? Well, I can't stress to you guys enough the difference of just body language and energy between these two teams. If you look at Boston, now granted they were playing the quote-unquote home game, But before the game, these guys are jumping around, they're dancing, they're bouncing off of each other, they're having a great time. And then same deal when they're closing that game out. I mean, there's a lot of excitement from Tatum and Brown. They're really feeling the moment. For Philadelphia, it was just flat as can be. You look at their bench, they're barely engaged at various points of that game. Joel Embiid didn't come out for warm-ups until six minutes were on the clock. So there was kind of questions of like, where is this guy? Everybody else had been out there for more than 10 minutes by the time he got onto the court. And then his body language and Brett Brown's body language after this game were just very, very dejected. Um, you know, there's been a lot to talk about Brett Brown's future. I think that uh, the injury issue to Simmons definitely changed the trajectory of their postseason run. And they kind of seemed to me a little bit like a dead team walking. Now, mm-hmm. at the same time, I was impressed in certain moments how they were able to fight back into that game. But down the stretch, it was just a disaster. MB didn't have a field goal for the final 11 minutes. When you're looking mm-hmm. at the construction of that roster, I mean, come on, like, how are you winning a game against, a, a, you know, how are you pulling an upset against a better team that, you know, on, on offense and defense in the Celtics, if your best guy isn't, you know, consistently providing you scoring punch. I thought that was sort of where they, they lost that one. I don't know how they turn it around, frankly. They, they clearly have some matchup issues. Boston was trying to uh, exploit the mismatch between Jalen Brown and Al Horford at times. I mean, that's a tough ask for Horford. You know, it's kind of like a good luck type situation. And Tatum was getting anywhere he wanted on the court. That's where they really miss Simmons, not having somebody to lock down on Tatum. So I'm with you. I think this is Boston series. You know, they're in, they're in control command early. And I think it's going to be a real heart test for Philly. They have not seemed super excited to be in the bubble. And Bede's body language was not good today. And we'll see if, uh, if that continues and they, uh, you know, look for an early exit. David, Ben mentioned there Brett Brown's future. And that, that that's an interesting thing to bring up because – I don't know what he can do short of actually winning the series to save his job at this point. I mean, there's been so many rumors for a couple of years now just around his job and, the and you know, you can use the Ben Simmons excuse possibly, but um, just with the history of, of that, of his sort of precarious situation there, I don't know that he can do much. Well, he's being, he was outcoached by Brad Stevens, I thought pretty thoroughly in, in game one. I mean, the, the, all the schemes to get the, to deny and beat the ball toward the end of the game there, um, to the the switching scheme that Boston had, everything that they were doing, um, it just seems like 
Brett Brown was thoroughly outcoached by Brad Stevens. Is there anything that he could do at this point? No, I don't think so. I mean, the irony is that he's actually got a pretty good built-in excuse for the loss of Simmons there, and uh, and still this might not be enough. I think you kind of hinted at it, Ben. That, you know, this team just looks exhausted. It almost reminds me of a, of a championship team that's on the last leg there after years and years of trying to make it back to the finals. We saw it in Golden State. We saw it in Cleveland. We saw it in Miami over the last uh, decade. And uh, Philadelphia just hasn't won the actual championships, and still they're exhausted with one another. The whole experiment has just gone bad very quickly, uh, and unfortunately so, because they've got the talent, at least it seems like that on paper, but just something seems to be missing, and I'm not sure what it is. You can look back to last year when they actually had a better team with Jimmy Butler on that roster, and somehow they're just not able to pull it together. I'm not sure if that falls entirely on Brown. There just seems like something... I hate to blame karma or something like that, but at the same time, it's just there's a bad energy, a bad juju about this group after having been built the way it was, and there was so much promise and potential. They just they've just failed to achieve it, and it doesn't seem likely that they'll do so anytime soon. I'm not sure if it's just the fit between Simmons and Embiid. I'm not sure if it's just signing Tobias Harris to a max contract, but it doesn't work, and it's time to blow it up. And I'm not sure how wow. realistic that might be, but I, I just don't see any other option for this team. I mean, the only way that I could see Philly even making a little bit of noise in this series is if they could somehow get more out of their bench. Uh, they did beat Boston's, outscored Boston's bench 23 to 8, but that's just not enough. Um, well, Hayward's going to be and, out and too, right, moving forward. So maybe that gives Philadelphia a slight edge. Yeah. It does. And look, but at the same time, Philadelphia's closing lineup is Josh Richardson, Alec Burks, Matisse Tybel, Tobias Harris, and Joel Embiid. That's just not good enough, I think, to beat the Celtics, Ben. No, you're right. I mean, look, the Hayward thing does definitely, depending on how serious that is, it could be a, a game changer in a second round series against Toronto. I mean, having uh, one fewer wing in that series is not going to be good news. I think here uh, it goes back to this idea of like, you know, Tybal, I thought, is trying really hard against Tatum, but he's just not ready. I mean, their, their wing core is just not ready. Those guys were getting such clean looks. Their offense was executing so well. Philly's energy just wasn't quite where it needed to be. The matchups are tough for them. And, um, you know, I think Boston has also been there before. I think that was a major theme from their post-game press conference was like, look, I mean, Tatum and, and Brown are young, but this is their, you know, multiple times they've already uh, made postseason runs together. They've both been in conference finals before. I mean, the, the you know, game one of the first round is not going to give them jitters. Like, they're ready to rock. They're ready to do it. They've already had their feet wet. And I think you saw that tonight. I mean, especially kind of the one-two punch, Tatum early, Brown late. Um, they closed it out right on schedule. It got more we'll experience talk- between the two between uh, over Kemba Walker, which is pretty funny when you think about it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great point. Well, and it looked like it too, didn't it? I yeah, mean, not that yeah. Kemba was terrible, but like, you know where they were going with the ball in the big moments and those guys delivered. Yeah. We'll talk about Luka Doncic's playoff debut next, but first let's talk about DoorDash. Between never-ending laundry cycles and incoming emails, you've got plenty on your to-do list. Give yourself one less thing to worry about and let DoorDash take care of your next meal. DoorDash is the app that brings you food that you're craving right now, right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. With over 300,000 partners in the U.S., Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, you could support your local go-tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Choose some of your favorite local restaurants and support them during these tough times, too. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local restaurant, and your food will be left at your door. DoorDash deliveries are now contactless to keep communities safe. 
So right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code LOCKEDONNBA, one word. That's $5 off your and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code LOCKEDONNBA. Don't forget, that's code LOCKEDONNBA for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Luka Doncic scored 42 points in his first ever playoff game, but he could not lead the Mavericks to a win over the Clippers in Game 1. The Clippers won 118-110, to led by 29 points from Kawhi, 27 points from Paul George. But the story to me is Luka. Why? And he didn't shy away from this matchup, even though he, he had reasons to do it. The Mavs could have unraveled after Kristaps Porzingis was ejected in the third quarter, but Luka managed to keep them in the game. Ben, what were your thoughts on his first playoff performance? Well, look, I mean, again, anytime you're setting records for most points scored in a postseason debut, a lot of things are going right for you. I mean, outscored LeBron, outscored AD, who had a great one, outscored Derrick Rose, Wilt Chamberlain, Kareem. I mean, all those guys had 30-plus. Now, Luka goes for 40-plus. Um, I should throw in George Mikan, too. I mean, he's, he's he topped everybody. Um, the most interesting part about it to me was what Doc Rivers said afterwards when I asked him about Luka. He said, I'm okay with all the points. They just wanted to tighten up their defense because Luka was able to find uh, open shooters on the weak side. Now, Dallas hit some of those shots, but they also missed some of those shots. I thought that was a very winnable game for the Mavericks. Uh, we know how good and efficient their offense has been all season long. What scared Doc Rivers was the idea that if they sucked in a little bit too much on the weak side uh, because they were trying to protect against Luka's drives, Luka was able to make the right read and the right pass to you know guys who were wide open with, with high percentage looks and just basically punishing that weak side defense. So um, I think that they, you know, the Clippers were happy to get the win because their stars played well because they held up, you know, pretty well down the stretch. You know, there was that little ejection, the little scuffle, whatever you want to call it. And the Clippers, you know, came out of it. Okay. Um, But I think that they were, you know, a little bit, uh, you know, impressed or wowed by Luca's playmaking ability in that moment, especially given how young he is and the poise at such a young age and the fact that he's doing it, you know, against, a team that's just loaded with elite perimeter defenders. The kid's special. I've had a really, really good time watching him play down here. I, I think he deserved, you know, to be first team all bubble. He's been right up there with everybody. Ben, you used the word poise there. Um, I mean, when at the time of Porzingis getting ejected, Dallas was up 71 to 66. The Clippers battle back, take back the lead. And I thought, I, I really, at that point, I thought the story of the game was Porzingis gets ejected. Mavericks unravel, Clippers, you know, ease into a victory in game one. But that's not what happened. What happened was Luka Doncic checked back in. They they fought back and they made it a game basically until the very end. Not to mention the Clippers got out to a 10-0 lead to start. And Dallas ended up having a lead after the first quarter in large part thanks to Luka and his passing and all those things that you're talking about. Not, not to mention obviously the scoring. Um, David, have you ever seen something like this from a, 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 not to go into complete hyperbole mode here? But when you see a guy like Luca do this in his first ever playoff game, I mean, have you seen something like this before? No, I don't think I have. I, I think he's just he's a very solid and complete player. It just makes all the kind of talk prior to the draft seem so much more ridiculous now in hindsight. And it's easy to kind of say this. Maybe there were some doubts about how he'd be able to match up against the NBA level of play. But he certainly so you wouldn't you that. wouldn't rather have Marvin Bagley. 
<laughs> so, well, I'm sure Vladi Divac would take that back, even if he could. Um, you know, he, he's really good. And look, we, we, you know, he did struggle, right, in his first few minutes there. I'm not sure if it was a combination of nerves and jitters or if it, whether it was just, you know, the Clippers' really good defense and the fact that they do have those wing players that Ben mentioned before. But he did have five turnovers in the first few minutes of the game. He looked a little out of sorts. And then the the... Perzingis' ejection, if anything, seemed to kind of solidify his intentions to take over the game. And he was just mm-hmm. kind of dominant after that. And you could tell he's, you could see that from the final stat line. But his ability to make plays, his ability to get to the rim as easily as he was, take shots confidently from way beyond the perimeter. I mean, that's that was very impressive overall. And uh, I mean, I don't know that they have a chance of knocking off the Clippers just because LA has such incredible depth and they do have two superstar level talents in George and Leonard. But at the same time, you have to be impressed by what Don were they able to do hey so Dave, I'm glad you mentioned the the turnovers because that's right on I mean the, the word poise definitely applied to the end game when yeah. he's you know taking uh Kawhi one-on-one I mean certainly there was there was some shakier moments early so excellent point there I also think that maybe the better word I should have used is fearless right I right. mean first yeah. game out and it's like Kawhi's on him he's going straight at him to the basket I mean how many guys have we seen either Kawhi intimidate or you know Kawhi LeBron the ball <laughs> <laughs> yeah, take the ball out of their pocket, right? I mean, that, that kind of stuff is just crazy for a 21-year-old. And I also think it just goes to show his learning curve, too. I voted for him for most improved player. And I think usually, you know, 21-year-old guy against a, a top-seeded contender, everybody, you know, considers them to be one of the very best favorites here. You know, it might take you three or four games to settle in. The fact that he can settle in after a half and then, you know, he's off and running and setting records, it's special. I mean, it, it's just, it deserves to be highlighted, circled, and everything else. Um, he's a one-man offense, and there's no good solution for him. Even one of the best defenses in the league, you know, when they really crank it up, is, you know, going back to the drawing board after this one, maybe they're going to take Kawhi's iPad that he brought to the game and uh, cue up some clips and try to figure out what to do. Uh, some of the talk after Kristaps Sporzingas got ejected was whether or not he even deserved it, right? He picks up the second technical. The first technical was kind of iffy in the first place, but... Um, Ben, I'm curious. You were there at the bubble. What was the what was the reaction like from the crowd there when Porzingis got ejected? Well, you know there is no crowd, so it's just kind of media people gasping a little bit. That's kind of all you get. But I know the Mavericks <laughs> exactly. are pretty upset, and they were they were uh, riding the refs pretty good all night, especially Luke. I mean, he really is already into that Harden Lebron category where he just has a running dialogue. And I think when you get these high IQ players, they just feel like, look, I'm thinking the game at a higher level than the referee, so I'm just going to sort of you know, treat them like my interns as we go along. And it's just kind of like just constant instruction, right? Um, Porzingis said, obviously, he didn't feel like he deserved it. Lucas said he appreciated that Porzingis stood up for him. The most interesting line was Porzingis uh, saying that, you know, the Clippers role players, that's what they do. They antagonize. They try to get under your skin. So he was calling them out just ever so softly. He did clarify he wasn't talking about their main players. So he was kind of pointing the fingers at, uh, you know, the Marcus Morris and, uh, Patrick Beverly's of the world. So I do think that gives you a little juice going forward in this series. I can't imagine that's going to be the last altercation we get, right? So no, no, uh, no pickleball for Doncic in the future. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> He'll be staying far away from the referees and, and all the fun times they're having here on campus. But, uh, you know, they, they give him some leniency. Don't you think they treat Porzingis and Doncic a little bit differently? Have you noticed that? Uh, I don't know. Maybe he's already getting the superstar treatment here at 21. 
I mean, it's it has to be something in the way he's talking. I know referees can be a little persnickety about how you talk to them, but maybe maybe the fact that it is constant, they're just kind of, I guess they're immune to it at some point, or they're numb to it. Maybe that's the more appropriate word. I, I, maybe he's not particularly aggressive. He does get in their faces. You see that pretty clearly, even if you're not covering the game. Uh, even on TV, you can see that he does get into their faces, and he does yell at them quite a bit. So it's just, it is peculiar that they, they do give him a little bit more leeway than maybe some other players. Well, he's got the size thing. Like, if you look at the stars who typically get the calls, I mean, not only are they superstars like LeBron and James Harden, but they are so much bigger and they're so hard to call fouls on. And against, I don't know, it's, I guess it's just the way their bodies bounce up against other bodies or whatever it is. But um, he's a superstar. He's a superstar. And we, he proved it with the production out there. And he, and I guess the refs agree. Um, the other game we didn't talk about, the Raptors got an, 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 a very much expected 134 to 110 win over the Brooklyn Nets. Not very interesting. They just they beat them. Um, Fred Van Vliet had 30 points and 11 assists, and that was it. Um, so we'll look ahead to tonight's matchup between the Lakers and the Blazers next. But first, let's talk about Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing number of vehicle makes and models, it can be impossible to stock all the parts you need for your car, especially now while you might not be able to visit a traditional store. So do it easily online at rockauto.com. Rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts to customers online for 20 years. So go to rockauto.com and shop for the auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or your daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low without the markup that you find at chain stores. So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Damian Lillard is the MVP of the bubble so far, at least during the seeding games, and he led the Trailblazers into a first-round matchup with the Lakers. Ben, how can the Blazers pull off the upset, and do you have any confidence that they can actually do that? No, I'm taking Lakers in this series for sure because I do think LeBron can flip a big switch. I think Anthony Davis showed that he can play at a very high level here, and I think he's going to be able to sustain it. I think both those guys have really favorable matchups. Portland just doesn't really have the right type of players to guard them. And they're dealing with some injury issues. Uh, Zach Collins is out. CJ McCollum's kind of banged up with a back injury. So I think the Lakers are going to benefit from kind of being rested and relaxed. And, you know, Portland, as Terry Stotts put it, went through a, you know, a nine-game playoff series, quote-unquote, to, to even get to the first round because they had to win so many of those games down the stretch. I think Portland's best chance is just the high variance of the three-point ball. L.A. has not shot the three-pointer very well here in the bubble. Their offense never really fully got on track. If they're struggling to get contributions from Kuzma, Danny Green, I think that makes them very reliant upon their top two guys to, to carry the scoring level. And we know Portland can put up you know points in bunches. As LeBron pointed out, the number one scoring team of the uh, you know the seeding uh, round uh, was was the Portland Trailblazers. They're shooting the ball lights out. You know it's not only Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. You know it's Gary Trent Jr. It's Carmelo Anthony. They can do it from lots of different spots. So they just kind of have to hope. You know, they just completely win the three-point battle, uh, you know, a few nights in a row, and maybe L.A. gets a little bit tight under the pressure. I think that's sort of their winning formula. Otherwise, I just don't think their defense is good enough to really keep up. It pretty much has to be a shootout. It has to be kind of a bombs-away type environment. But, you know, Damian Lillard's not going to go down lightly. 
Um, and I'm sure we'll see a couple of vintage performances from him. I'm actually picking Lakers in six, just kind of out of respect mm. to Dame. It's like, he's going to go nuts a couple of times. We can just kind of write that one in stone. Who gets the unenviable task of guarding Damon Lillard from the Lakers? They're going to mix different guys up. I mean, I imagine they're going to want to use at least a little bit of length with KCP. But I think ultimately when you have to pick him up so far from the basket, you're yeah. probably going to need to use Caruso, you know, and, and at least have some foot speed out there trying to stick with him, some quickness to shadow him. But they don't have a great matchup there either. Um, I think if you're, um, you know, if, if you're the Lakers, you know, a lot of your defensive game plan is just going to be hope that he, he gets tired, you know, hope that he wears down after, you know, a week or so. And we've seen that from from him in the past in playoffs. As he yeah. goes deeper into the playoffs, he wears down. It's kind of a similar effect with uh, James Harden as well. So, you know, whether it's through the course of a longer series or just, you know, the accumulated effect, I think that's kind of their their main defense of hope. Yeah, and, like, who defends Damian Lillard? The, the, the Trailblazers have that same question in regards to LeBron James. Who do they have that can guard LeBron? LeBron, a little bit kind of a slow start to the seeding games. Maybe that was by design. Maybe there was some maintenance there. I don't know what it was, but I think what we're going to see in this first round, at least early, is – LeBron taking advantage of the whoever is in front of him trying to guard him on Portland because I just don't see who it is. I mean, you can't switch Carmelo Anthony onto him. If they, if with Zach Collins out, if they try to start Gary Trent Jr., that could help them from an offensive perspective and give another give you know Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum another ball handler to do stuff. But he's not guarding LeBron. Like I don't know who it is, and not not to even mention Anthony Davis. So I, I think we could see LeBron get off to a hot start here. And uh, and really sort of take advantage of this thing, Ben. You say uh, Portland in six. I kind of had the same idea of giving no, Damian Lillard a respect Lakers game and, and doing. Oh, I'm sorry, Lakers in six. Right. Uh, I didn't want to misquote you there. Uh, Lakers in six. I think Lakers in five. But same sort of idea, right? Give give some respect to Damian Lillard. But this could easily, I think, be Lakers in four if uh, they if the Trailblazers don't get one of these games early. Because like you said, if they don't get an early game. Lillard could just break down in games, you know, four and five. It's possible. I think the other thing to mention with LeBron's matchups, not only do they not have anybody to guard him, but that could mean he just parades to the free throw line, right? Like we've seen mm-hmm. if you don't have really good perimeter physical defenders, whether it's a Clay Thompson or an Andre Iguodala, you know, he'll just start to get into the old man, you know, take you to the post mode or drive, drive, drive to the rim mode and just really put pressure on you that way. Portland doesn't have great rim protection. They don't have great defensive rebound. And we saw that was a huge problem for them, um, you know, throughout a few of those last games where they were barely staving off, you know, teams in, in the uh, in the seeding round. I think LeBron is, you know, going to try to put pressure on the interior of Portland's defense, get himself to the free throw line, you know, get some of Portland's players into foul trouble. And then things are going to get pretty dicey. So that's kind of what I'm looking for in game one. You know, he always treats game one as a feel out. So I'm right. not saying he's going to put his head down, you know, immediately, you know, first time he gets the ball. But I expect this to be kind of a war of attrition from LeBron's perspective. I'm looking forward to Carmelo Anthony, defensive slobber, stepping up and trying to do what he can to limit LeBron. It's, it's <laughs> well, already been a we, weird year, we were, so that we wouldn't be anything. We were talking about any, yeah. scoring tonight, right? So there yeah. might be some more of that if that's the game plan. <laughs> Uh, guys, before we go, I want to know, I was, I took a, I took a socially distanced and responsible trip to Fort Lauderdale beach this weekend, uh, not to be completely Florida man, again, responsible, socially distanced. However, uh, there was a decision that I had to make at some point. Is it, do, do do we hang out at the pool or do we hang out at the beach? So I want to know just in general terms, are you team beach or are you team pool? David, let's start with you. 
Yeah, pools are disgusting unless they're your own. So I, I am definitely uh, Team Beach. I, I mean, beaches can be pretty gross too, especially now in today's world. But uh, generally speaking, I think beaches are a much better, cleaner, and uh, I just have overall better experience than the pool. Ben, I, mean, I feel team, like you're leaning the same way. Yeah, I'm Team Coastal Hike, to be honest, but I'll definitely <laughs> take a, a beach over a pool. You know, there's a pool right next door to my hotel room, like right around the corner. Is it gator free, though? <laughs> yeah, it is gator free, but I have not been inside that pool once. I don't plan on going in, into it anytime soon. I did see a gator in a nearby lake the other day, which was a nice awakening and uh, welcome to Florida. But I'll tell you what, I'll take that. Uh, I'll take the ocean over either one of those things anytime. Was that your first alligator sighting, like, of all time? No, uh, no, I've seen some alligators before. I saw a gigantic alligator one time in Texas that was like the Oliver Miller of alligators. I mean, this thing was not <laughs> getting up to top speed very quickly. Uh, but uh, it was my first alligator since being in the bubble. And I want to say I might have gotten the first photo of an alligator from anyone inside the bubble. Um, so, you know, I don't know. Breaking news. That's, that that's, that's good. That's good. I mean, you're making the most of the experience, that's for sure. Um, I just want to defend team pool really quick. I am team beach, but when I think about it, all the reasons, I don't know why I should be team pool. I mean, usually if you're at a resort or a hotel or some kind, the bar is much closer to the pool than it is to the beach. Uh, there is no sand at the pool, which is a nice little benefit. But I think, you know, the reason I'm team beach is you just got to embrace the sand and just got to embrace all that. And you got to bring your own stuff with you. But, uh, definitely, definitely some, some merit to team pool. I don't think we gave it enough credit. Um, and Team Alligator. Can't can't uh, forget about Team Alligator. Uh, remember to listen to and subscribe to Locked on NBA on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you have some time, rate us, review us, say nice things about us. Thanks for listening, and please stay safe. <laughs>